Church. It's good to be together to worship God again uh, this Sunday morning. Today is Palm Sunday, and on Palm Sunday, we remember that Jesus rode in on a donkey down the Mount of Olives, through the Kidron Valley, and into the city of Jerusalem. And the crowds all around him recognized what he was doing. He was coming to Jerusalem as Israel's king. So today, our focus of worship is going to be Christ as King, that Jesus Christ is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. All of our singing and praying and even the preaching that uh, Blair Hansen is going to do for us is going to focus us in on what does it mean that Jesus is the King? He's not the King in theory. He's not some ethereal King that disconnected from our lives, but he is the true King of the universe. Now, the first time that he entered into Jerusalem on a donkey by coming down the Kidron Valley, he entered in as a lamb. That is, he knew that he was going to Jerusalem to die. And he had to come as our king to die for us. Otherwise, no one could live in his kingdom. Because only those who are without sin can be in his kingdom. But who among us is without sin? So Jesus paid for our sin in order to redeem us and to invite us to participate in his reign, in his kingdom. But that's not the end of the gospel. As Blair is going to preach to us, the gospel continues and the gospel recognizes that Jesus will come back. But when he comes back, he's not going to come back like a lamb to die a second time. He's going to come back like a lion. And Jesus will come back to reign and to conquer and to establish his kingdom. And we want to be ready for that day. Uh, in times like we're living through right now, it's really crucial that we remember that there is a king who is seated on a throne. This king has purchased people for his kingdom, but this king is also coming back. And next time he goes down from the Mount of Olives through the Kidron Valley up into Jerusalem, it will be to take back the world. So let us worship our God and our King, the Lord Jesus Christ, together today. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we pause today to remember that no matter what's going on in the world, no matter what's going on in our lives, there, there is a king and his name is Jesus. And you have given him all authority in heaven and on earth. And he has redeemed for himself a people. And we are now called the church, but we will be gathered together from Israel and every other nation under earth upon his return to reign with him and to live under his rule. God, I pray that you would help us uh, in these times, help us to keep a, a focus on what is true and what is real. Uh, I thank you, Lord, that even through all of the pain and suffering and difficulties that are enveloping the world today through the pandemic, that you have stripped away our false assurances. You have, you have uh, removed the mirage uh, of, of a false reality that has been covering our eyes. And now we see with stark clarity that so many things that we thought were so important and so real are so quickly taken away. But one thing that will never be taken away is your kingdom. And we trust that you will come in the person of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to establish it fully. Now, God, help us to worship you. In his name we pray. Amen. So let us worship together our God and our King, the Lord Jesus Christ. No other king could vanquish the war horse or silence the warrior's rage while riding the lowly back of a dog. 
No other king could break the dominion of darkness, the tyranny of evil, with a reign of grace and a kingdom of peace. No other king could give his life for the redemption of rebels, his wealth to welcome the outcast. Jesus is that king, the king of glory, son of the living God. Not just another king, not just another prophet, not just another teacher. He was the one the world had been waiting for, the one to deliver us from captivity, the son of David and Abraham's chosen seed. He is the goal of the Mosaic Law, Yahweh in the flesh. He is the one to establish God's reign and rule, to heal the sick, give sight to the blind, freedom to the prisoners, and proclaim good news to the poor. This Jesus was the creator come to earth and the beginning of a new creation. He embodied the covenant, fulfilled the commandments, and reversed the curse. This Jesus is the Christ that God spoke of to the serpent, the one prefigured to Noah in the flood, the one promised to Abraham, the one guaranteed to Moses before he died, the one promised to David during his reign, the one revealed to Isaiah as a suffering servant, the one predicted through the prophets and prepared for through John the Baptist. He is the Father's Son, Savior of the world, and substitute for our sins. More loving, more holy, and more wonderfully terrifying than we ever thought possible. He is our Jesus, and there is no other king like him. He is our God, our glory, our victorious Savior. There is no other king like him. There is no other king.
Scorning love.
Good morning, South Shore. It is so good to be able to join together through these digital means and remember our unity in Christ, even when we're physically separated. Uh, it is so good to gather around God's word because we know that his word is just as living and active and relevant this morning as ever before. Today's Palm Sunday, and thus begins our journey through the Holy Week. The passage that we find ourselves in is Luke 19. This is what's often called the triumphal entry. Um, we'll start in chapter 19, verse 28 and following. This is just following a parable that Jesus has just spoken that illustrates how the coming of God's kingdom will unfold. Luke 19, verse 28. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. And when he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied, that's a donkey, on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Pray, peace in heaven. And glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they're hidden from your eyes. Oh God, open up your word this morning for us. Help us to see Jesus Christ. Help us to behold wondrous things from your law. Help us to count all of your wondrous works as precious. And to be able to say, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, the King, the Anointed One. Oh God, show us more of Jesus Christ. We pray that you would banish from our minds any thought of Christ that doesn't measure up to the reality of who he is. I pray that we would embrace everything of who Christ is now, what he's done in the past, what he's doing in the future, and that we would fall at your feet, our God, in worship for the great things that you have done and for who you are. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. So the question that I want to pose at the beginning is, are his disciples, the crowd in this passage that we just read about, are they right to embrace Jesus Christ as king? What was it about this moment 
that made them so sure that this was the king, that they would praise God with a loud voice and say, blessed is the king. It's because this is exactly what Jesus was telling them by riding toward Jerusalem on a donkey. How do we know that? It's Zechariah 9. Turn to Zechariah chapter 9 if you have a Bible. This is a very important book, especially for us Christians. It has so much relevance in the New Testament. It's where we find passages like, they'll look on him whom they've pierced, or strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter, or the reality that the Lord will come to Jerusalem and he'll stand on the Mount of Olives to fight against the nations of the earth. And in chapter 9, we have a lot of war imagery. Chapter 9, verses 1 to 8, talk all about God's destruction of the Gentile nations. It's those who reject him as God, and he will come, and he will bring vengeance to all of those nations. That's chapter 9, 1 through 8. In verses 10 and following, it's all about God's restoration and his salvation, the peace forever that he's bringing for Israel. Right in the middle of those passages, in Zechariah 9, 9, we have a wonderful promise. It says this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. A king is coming on a donkey, righteous, with salvation, humble. So are the disciples right in Luke 19 to recognize Jesus as the king who is coming just because he's mounted on a donkey? Yes, but how do we know without a shadow of a doubt, that this is what Jesus is claiming by his actions, that he is the promised king. It's because of the next few verses in Luke 19. Flip back to Luke 19, verse 39. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. The leaders rejected the crowd's response. They said, no way, he's not the king. But what does Jesus say? Jesus affirms what the crowd said. In fact, it's so true, Jesus says, that if they didn't say it, inanimate objects, the very creation itself, would cry out and praise the king. So one way or another, the world would recognize that Jesus Christ is the king by what he was doing. Now, once Jesus enters Jerusalem, what should happen next? If he's coming down the Mount of Olives and he's about to enter Jerusalem and he's mounted on a donkey and he's saying, I am the king of Zechariah 9, what should happen next? Well, if Jesus is riding into Jerusalem as the Zechariah 9 king, he is going to ride into the city, take his rightful place as the king, the divine warrior, He's going to conquer all the Gentile nations who've rejected the one true God. And he's going to save Israel from Roman rule. And he's going to establish Israel's absolute preeminence on the earth, right? This is exactly what 
the people were expecting. So were they right to expect Jesus to come as a conquering king? Yes. So why did he not now? If Zechariah's words are true about who the king is going to be, how can we say that Jesus' disciples were right in praising him as the king, but wrong about what happens next? The answer is because they misunderstood Jesus' timeline. Luke 19, 41 through 42 gives us this reality. And when he drew near and saw the city, that is Jerusalem, he wept over it. And what did he say? Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. What an awful contrast this is. While the crowd's rejoicing, Jesus is weeping. What is he weeping over? He's weeping over their understanding of what's taking place. You don't want Jesus to weep over your beliefs. What exactly did they have wrong that Jesus was weeping over? Remember what the crowd was saying in their rejoicing. They said this, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. They were declaring that peace had come. Does this remind you of what the angels said when they were announcing Jesus' birth in Luke 2, 14? They said this, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Jesus was coming to earth to bring peace, and he's now entering Jerusalem. He's going to bring peace, and the crowds are exclaiming that, yes, he is bringing peace. Now, what is peace? Peace is peace with God. That's the most important peace that exists. It's when all is well between you and God, you're reconciled. So he says, you're proclaiming peace, but you don't understand, this is verse 42, you don't understand the things that need to happen to bring peace. What are these things that need to happen that make for peace that they've missed? It's the events of the next week. It's the following days. It's Christ's passion. It's his betrayal and ultimately his death for sinners and his resurrection from the dead. These are the things that bring peace. And, and we know that, but the crowds there didn't realize that. If you're in Luke 19, flip back a couple pages to Luke 18, 31 through 34. And taking the 12, he said to them, see, we are going up to Jerusalem. He's going to spell it out very clearly for the disciples. So they know exactly what's going to happen when he goes to Jerusalem. He says, everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he'll be delivered over to the Gentiles. And he will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. That's exactly what the crowd, how the crowd responded when Jesus was coming toward Jerusalem. They didn't understand these things that needed to happen to establish peace. They were hidden from them. They couldn't see it. So if he came 
to establish earthly peace in that moment, we have to remember this, we would have all been wiped out because apart from Christ's death, we're all at enmity with God. That's Romans 5.10. While we were still sinners, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. That's a bit of an aside. That's why Christ couldn't establish his earthly rule right there. Or if he did, it would be bad news for all people because Christ hadn't accomplished the things that were required yet for peace. So to sum up what we've covered so far in three statements, this is it. The righteous, saving, humble king will ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. That's statement number one. Statement number two, the king is a divine warrior who executes judgment on his enemies. Statement number three, the son of man will be killed and will rise to life. We've established all three of those realities. Let's reflect on those. We understand with the Jews in Luke 19, the first statement. We agree wholeheartedly. The righteous, saving, humble king will ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. We agree with what Zechariah prophesied and it happened. Now, statement number two. The Jews at Christ's entrance to the city got that statement. They got the second statement. They were expecting the military leader king to come in and establish his reign and work justice on the earth, which would mean wiping out the Gentile nations who've rejected God and establishing Israel as the preeminent nation in the world. That's what they expected. Their trouble was understanding the third statement that he'll be killed and will rise to life. Now, our problem is different. We understand the third statement. We embrace that wholeheartedly. The Son of Man will be killed and will rise to life. And we understand the, the Son of Man to be the King. But our problem is more embracing the second statement, that the King is a divine warrior who executes judgment on his enemies. But we find in this passage that if we're going to follow Jesus's example and believe in a crucified Savior, we should weep with Jesus if our theology does not have room for a conquering king. Because Jesus wept that those who embraced him as king didn't understand that he must first go to the cross. They didn't get that. But do we miss the reality that Christ is coming as a king who will establish his reign and rule on the earth and justice and equity. We believe he conquered death, but do we believe he will conquer the whole earth? Or have we really spiritualized this promise? Revelation 19 gives us this peek into the future. This is our king. Revelation 19, 11, Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. 
And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. That's the blood of his enemies. That's Isaiah 63. And the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The Lord Jesus Christ is a warrior king. He will execute justice on the earth for every nation, every person who doesn't bend the knee to the king. For them, he will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. Can you imagine? If we do not believe this, though, our gospel is deficient. If we don't believe this and embrace this about who Jesus is and what he's coming to do, then our gospel isn't the full gospel. This is really difficult. This truth reveals what we believe about God and sin. Follow this argument. We understand it was necessary for Christ to die, right? If it's necessary for Christ to die, it's because sin against a holy God requires justice. We understand that. Now, Jesus, God the Son incarnate, entirely divine and entirely human, received the judgment that should have been ours. He reconciled us and brought us peace with God. So that when Christ returns, all those who've been by faith holding on to Christ's death on their behalf, they'll be safe in God's judgment. They'll be found righteous, but not because of anything they did, simply because they believed in what Jesus did for them. But for those who have not claimed Christ's life and death, for them, it will mean judgment and justly. And they'll be found guilty of rebellion against their creator. So if that's true, when Christ returns, if he is going to establish true peace in the world, he must remove all of those who have hardened their hearts against him and rejected salvation. So what that means is if it was necessary for Christ to die, it is necessary for Christ to bring righteous judgment to the earth when he comes back. If it was necessary for Christ to come and redeem the first time, it is necessary for Christ to come and rule and reign when he returns. Our hope is in Christ's return because his return is our resurrection from the dead and it's our eternal paradise with God. But the scripture makes clear what will happen when, Christ's, when Christ returns. Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians 1, 7-10 says this, that when the Lord Jesus Christ is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction 
away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints. When he comes, and that's our hope, he comes to execute vengeance in the world. If we believe in a Jesus who died and rose to life and is not returning to deal justly with every person who's rejected God, then we believe in a deficient Jesus, which is no Jesus at all. The Jesus who took God's wrath in the place of sinners and is returning to raise the saints from the dead and banish sinners who didn't bend the knee to him, he is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That is the true Jesus who we embrace, who we worship, who we say, blessed are you, come in the name of the Lord. This holy week, our charge is to embrace our King who came to redeem and is returning to reign. This week, I encourage all of us, let's stand in agreement with Christ's disciples who received him as their conquering king, though they didn't fully understand the things that were required for peace, Christ's death and resurrection. And as we anticipate these events that we're going to enjoy together in the coming days, leading up to Christ's death and his taking our place on the cross, his burial, his rising again from the dead, let's together long for the day that our Lord returns to bring our bodies back to life, remembering that when he returns, he comes with a sword to execute terrifying justice on the earth. That is why Christ's life and death and resurrection, these things that we do embrace, are so necessary because his judgment is terrifying if you don't have Christ. This is why the message is so urgent in this world. Every nation, every people, every person will face the justice of God. And the only thing that will affect their treatment will be whether they embrace the king who at his first coming died for them. So that in his second coming, he could come to restore all things for them. Ensure that you are on Christ's side when he returns. And if you are, rejoice at his coming and long for his coming. Say, come Lord Jesus, come quickly. For it will mean for us eternal peace with God and eternal peace on the earth. Praise God. Our Lord, we praise you for the things that you have done and the things that you are doing and the things that you will do. We rejoice because we have seen the wondrous works of God. Oh Lord, would we embrace all of who you are, all of your plan to restore humanity to yourself, all of your plan to reconcile us to you, even when we were dead, even when we were enemies. Oh Lord, transform day by day this week our thinking about all of these events to be more and more in line with the grandeur that they are. That Jesus Christ, the King who reigns on high, 
God himself would come to earth and he would be the humble, righteous, saving king who'd ride in on a donkey and proclaim that he's the king. Oh Lord, help us to embrace this king day by day. And would we, even in this extraordinary time, would we be faithful in in bringing the message of the king who has come to redeem and is coming to conquer to this dying world, to a world that without Christ will receive the judgment of God, will receive justice, just as all of us do, but they will receive condemnation without the things that are required for peace. Oh, bring these things to a lost and dying world, to every tribe and every nation. Use us, Lord, we pray. In the name of Christ, our King. Amen.